0: We're in a new teaching series uh, through the season of Advent called Overjoy. We remain in Luke's gospel, and we're kind of in the, in the first couple of chapters of Luke. And we're just going to dive straight into this teaching today. So if you brought your Bibles, if you'd like to open them, um, we'll be in Luke chapter 1, beginning in verse 65. And uh, uh, Stephen, we're just going to kind of roll through these together. In uh, Luke chapter 1, verse 65, it says, Awe fell upon the whole neighborhood. And the news of what had happened spread throughout the Judean hills. And what had happened, if you were here last week, we looked at the story of Zechariah and Elizabeth. And if you remember, Zechariah and Elizabeth are, are uh, too old to have children. They've had a stellar faith career. They're righteous in God's eyes. They follow all of the commands. They even are descendants of the priestly line. They, they have it all with one glaring deficit, and that is they don't have children which would have been a mark, mark of uh, shame and disgrace for them. And Zechariah wins the spiritual lottery. He actually, as a priest, gets to work in the holy place. He lights the altar of incense, and when he does, who appears next to him? Gabriel. And Zechariah has the response of everybody in Scripture who comes into the presence of, of the holy. Of, it's, a, it's a response of fear. And Gabriel says, don't be afraid. God has heard your prayer. And Zachariah says, what prayer? It's been a long time since we've prayed for kids. We're far too old for this. This this can't happen to us. And Gabriel says, no. Elizabeth is going to be pregnant. You're going to have a son, and you're going to name him John. Kind of takes all the fun out of it. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, they don't get to know like, uh, they don't even get to pick a name, you know, like, no, this is what you're going to have. There's no question about it. It's not going to be twins or, or, or triplets, and it's going to be a boy, and you're going to name him John. And Zechariah has this moment of doubt, and Gabriel's kind of no-nonsense when it comes to that kind of stuff, and says, oh, you doubt me? You doubt this word will come true? Uh, until it is seen, you're going to lose the ability to speak. And we think probably, too, he also became deaf. Until finally, a child was born to Elizabeth, miracle of miracles. It's the, it's the prequel miracle in Luke. How do we celebrate the, the miraculous birth of a Savior? Well, let's talk about another miraculous birth. Let's put it in place here. Let's set the stage. And Elizabeth gives birth to a child and says, His name will be John. And the crowd says, Hold on a minute. No one in your family is named John. You can't name him John. This is not how things work, these are not the rules. And they try to communicate to Zechariah. And Zechariah says, give me a tablet. Uh, And he gets a tablet and writes, his name is John. And as soon as he writes it, what happens? His speech returns and he begins to praise God. And that's when the people say in verse 65, that awe fell upon the whole neighborhood. And the news of what had happened spread throughout all the Judean hills. Let's keep going. In verse 66 it says, And everyone who heard about it reflected on these events and asked, what will this child turn out to be? For the hand of the Lord is surely upon him in a special way. This, uh, this hand of God on him is kind of a, an anthropomorphism. It's, it, it means a, a assigning human characteristics to God. And, and it just means there's something special about this child. He is a child of destiny. There is a sense of greatness, of, of something yet to come about him. And the people gather around, and I love their question. Their question is, what will this child turn out to be? Our son, Canon, is uh, uh, adopted. We adopted him from Ethiopia, and his birth name is Tariku. And uh, Tariku in Ethiopian means event surrounding a birth. How many of you of parents have, uh, you guys read stories to your, to your kids at night, or do you remember, do you remember this moment? And we kind of lay in bed sometimes with Cannon and Harper, and uh, they don't know anything about personal space. So, like, we're both on the pillow together, and their nose is right next to your nose. You know, do you have these moments? You know what I'm talking about? And in those moments of, of reading and laughter, parents, have you ever had that, that, that thought of what will this child turn out to be? What is to come? Are you curious at all about their future? Because that's the moment the crowd has. There's something special about this child. What will he turn out to be? In verse 67, it goes on to say, Then his father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and gave this prophecy. Zechariah's son, John, we know him as John the Baptist, will become the greatest prophet of all of the prophets, of Isaiah, of Jeremiah, of uh, of Micah, of all of the prophets in the Old, Old Testament, John the Baptist becomes the penultimate one. And it's no irony that Zechariah uh, is about to uh, give birth. They're, they're about to have the greatest of all prophets. And he does this uh, when he gives birth to the greatest of all prophets. He himself prophesies. The crowd asks, what will this child be? And Zechariah says, well, I'll tell you. I'll tell you. He answers the question not only for John, but for another child also. Let's look at some more verses. In verse 69, or I'm sorry, verse 68, it says, uh, and if you are in your Bibles, you're going to see that this, this next section of verses comes in a, in, in a, in a stanza by itself. We think maybe an old, uh, maybe it was sung as a hymn uh, in, in the early church. But it begins with, uh, and this hymn is called the ben, uh, Benedictus. It, it's, uh, it's just Latin for blessing. It, it starts with the word blessed or praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has visited and redeemed his people. He has sent us a mighty Savior from the royal line of his servant David. Zachariah prophesies, and then it's, it's this praise of God. He says, "A mighty savior has been raised up." Literally, uh, uh, in the Greek, it, well, we translated a mighty savior uh, from a, from the royal line, but but literally, it means uh, he has sent us a horn of salvation to raise up the horn of a powerful animal like a, an ox or a ram or a bull was was to invoke strength and power. Uh, it's what happens uh, when a runner finishes the race and they throw their hand, their fist in the air as a symbol of victory. Maybe uh, uh, maybe you guys have seen uh, uh, fighters in a ring. When two fighters are at a ring and they go at this match and they go round after round after round at the end, the referee stands in the middle holding both hands, right? But one hand is raised in victory. And Zechariah says, "He has sent us a horn of salvation. God has raised up a champion, a victor, a mighty savior, a Messiah." And then he says, if you're paying attention, he says, and this this mighty Savior will be from the royal line of his servant David. Wait, wait, wait. Who is he prophesying about? If you pay attention, you know that John is not from the line of David, but from the line of Aaron. So if Zechariah is not prophesying about John, the horn of victory, The horn of salvation, who's he prophesying about? It is someone else. Let's look at some more passages together. Let's talk about this, this horn of salvation. Several verses together. In verse 70, he says, Just as he promised through the holy prophets long ago, now we will be saved from our enemies and from all who hate us. He has been merciful to our ancestors by remembering his sacred covenant, the covenant he swore with an oath to our ancestor Abraham. Keep going. We have been rescued from our enemies so we can serve God. What are those next two words? Without fear, in holiness and righteousness, for as long as we live. I love this section. Um, um, it, uh, it it drips with uh, Old Testament uh, uh, language and and imagery of covenant and and Abraham and victory over enemies. It it drips with with promise and and prophecy, all wrapped into one um, in the in the. Um, Chronicles of Narnia, they talk about, uh, I think it's a reference to kind of Old Testament covenant and promise and idea and prophecy and all these things. They use the words uh, old magic. You know what I'm talking about? And so when Zechariah begins to prophesy from these Old Testament words, he's invoking this kind of deep sense of, of what is to come that's deep in the earth. Something that's been around a long time. Are you with me? and twice he says that we will be saved from our enemies. He says we we've been rescued from our enemies. If he mentioned something twice, it's something maybe we should pay attention to. So who are the enemies of the Jewish people? Who's Zechariah's enemy? Who's John's enemy? During this time, um, when Zachariah is writing and prophesying, during the time of Jesus' birth and John's birth, it's the time of Roman rule and Roman occupation. And this kind of, the Jewish kind of section, corridor, the Jewish portion of the, of the Roman kingdom was headed by a guy, you may know a, a little about, a bit about him. His name was Herod the Great. I actually, I think I have an image of him. So there's what we think maybe he, he kind of sort of looked like. Uh, Herod the Great really was great. Uh, he was the, the king kind of uh, under Roman rule for this area. Really unique um, political uh, strategist because he was Jewish kind of. He was Jewish enough for the Romans to pick him to be head of, of the Jews of this area. Uh, in fact, his name was, and this is going to sound familiar to some of you who are familiar with the Bible, he liked to be called and was referred to as King... Of the Jews. And he was called Herod the Great because of his great building projects. Like this guy built some amazing ports and cities and, and castles. Uh, he uh, was building his entire rule Uh, Only recently, and if you like archaeology at all, only recently in 2007 did we uh, discover Herod's tomb, like the place where he died and was buried. And literally, it's out in the desert. And he uh, built such massive, impressive uh, structures that where his tomb is, is a mountain. And they literally, he literally had workers carry dirt and build a mountain. On top of the mountain, he built a huge castle that he built, and on the castle is this kind of like funeral, like um, uh, almost like a mausoleum type thing, the mausoleum on top of the mountain, on top of the, the, the palace that he built is 80 feet tall. In one of his palaces, uh, uh, Herod the Great had a private theater that could seat 450 people. He had a swimming pool. All right, so like this, this is crazy how much power and, and ability this guy had. He had a swimming pool that we have found that was 150 feet wide by 220 feet wide. That's a big pool, right? Like that's, long, that's even big by Las Vegas standards. I mean, that's big, But this biggest project was Solomon's temple. So if you know, again, uh, drips with the Old Testament. If you know about Solomon, he built this temple of God in Jerusalem. It was kind of this touching point where God, like, touched earth, like, had the holy place and the the most holy place. Uh, And the temple itself was gilded in gold and had all of these ornate fixtures. Herod the Great more than doubled the size of Solomon's temple. It was so big and so massive and such an undertaking. Guess what they began to call it? It was no longer the temple of God, but they began to call it Herod's temple. You see why the Jews may not have liked this so much? Herod became this incredible Figure And he was so great in the, uh, to work in the Roman Empire because even though he kind of claimed Judaism, he worked for the Romans. And, and so what, what happened is that all of the Jews in that area were honestly and truly subjugated. It wasn't an outright and overt slavery, but they were slaves. The Romans under Herod's rule in this area could come in and do anything. Crucifixion was a pretty common deal um, in the in the Roman Empire. Uh, maybe you guys know the you guys know the old movie Spartacus. You know this movie, so that actually happened. Like there was a revolt of slaves in Rome, and uh, uh, they fought against the Roman Empire. This happened about eighty years before uh, before the birth of John, before the birth of Christ, and Caesar in Rome, who is kind of Herod the Great's boss, was uh, uh, was so. Um, how do I put this word? Um, not happy with this slave revolt that he crucified 2,000 slaves and spread them out over a road over 250 miles. And the way you crucify them is they don't come down. They stay up as a constant reminder. And these same kind of ideas, whenever there was a revolt, whenever there was a, uh, even in Jesus' later life, there was a revolt by uh, this guy named um, Judas the Galilean, the Jews rose up and they were going to take back Galilee and Herod and the rest of the Romans came and put their thumb down. And just outside of Bethlehem, not far, 700 Jews along with Judas Galilean were crucified, placed on crosses along the road. Herod the Great was um, great for his building projects, but even more so because of his tyranny. Uh, I literally think that like uh, Hitler, who is in our mind, in our day, like the worst guy ever, ever. Hitler had a, had a picture of Herod the Great on his desk as an idol because the things that Herod did were, were so far worse. Uh, Herod was this paranoid psychopath He murdered two of his own wives. He killed three of his own sons. He had his brother in law, uh, uh, his own brother in law, drowned. I don't know if that was in the big pool, but drowned him. Caesar Augustus in Rome, Herod's big boss, said of Herod, and we have this recorded in history, that he would rather be Herod's swine than his son. So feared was Herod, that no one would mourn his death. Herod had a standing order that when he died, um, large groups of prominent men in throughout Judea were to be murdered and killed on that day so people would mourn. So, when a group of astronomers and wise men from the east came through Jerusalem looking for the new king of the Jews. Is it any wonder Herod reacted as he did? And if you read Matthew's account of this birth, nativity, what what does Herod do? He orders that every child under the age of two in and around the area of Bethlehem be killed. To Rome, to Herod, Jewish life was incredibly cheap. And maybe today we, we read this about being rescued from our enemies, being saved from our enemies. When Zachariah says this, the Jews know who their enemy is, like they have a they can see his palace. It overlooked the temple. They know who the enemy is. And maybe the word "enemy" doesn't bring anyone to our mind. But for the Jews, it definitely did. And I love that this prophecy, and this is, this is important, this prophecy isn't just about forgiveness of sins, but it, is a, it involves a tangible, physical rescue. This horn of salvation is going to do something here. So that... Not so that we can serve ourselves, but so that we can serve God. Let's keep going. Verse 76 and 79. Finally, uh, Zechariah gets around to prophesying about his own son. And he says, you, my little son, I love this moment of like, you know, that, it's almost that pillow moment of laying on the pillow, looking at or holding a child close to you. What will you be What will come of you? And you, my little son, will be called the prophet of the Most High because you will, this is John the Baptist, he will prepare the way. And how? How does he prepare the way? He says, prove by the way you live. Prepare the way for the Lord. You will tell his people how to find salvation through forgiveness of their sins. I love that... uh, John, like us, is stuck somewhere in the middle <laughs> between promise and salvation, but between its full realization, he prepares us for the ultimate, the finale, the arrival of God, the last great sunrise by offering the forgiveness of sins. John is the preliminary; He's the prequel. He's the pre-show. And Jesus will be the ultimate. And here's what he says about him. He goes back to speak again about Jesus in verse 78 and 79. He says, because of God's tender mercy, the morning light from heaven is about to break upon us. To give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death and to guide us to the path of peace. I love that language. I've been, uh, I've been wrapped up in it all week. Because of God's tender mercy, the morning light from heaven is about to break. It made me uh, think, and I I even sent an email out this week to to any brave people that want to get up early this morning. Uh, No one, no one replied. uh, I don't know why. so uh, I had this idea, and I just, I just kept reading that, morning light, morning light, morning light, morning light. And, and it just made me think, like, when was the last time I, I really waited for a sunrise? And so I had this plan. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get up early, and I'm going to go, and I'm going to video the sunrise on Sunday morning. And so I, I called Charles and said, Charles, can I borrow your video camera? And he said, Sunday's no good. It's going to be cloudy. Um, and so uh, what I present to you is a video from sunrise earlier this week. Go ahead and, and start playing that. It's from here in Franklin. And while that's playing, I just want I, I to talk about my experience. I, I really did. My wife can attest I woke her up this morning. I got up super early. Uh, I looked at my phone to find out exactly what time would, what time would morning light break. I, I wanted to be there even though I knew it was maybe overcla- overcast and cloudy and And it reminded me of a bunch of things, like like when was the last time you got up early for a sunrise um on purpose to wait on to wait on that kind of morning morning light it it was It was really a a great, awesome kind of advent experience, and maybe if uh you're you're especially holy like I am, maybe you go go uh sometime this season and and um uh, go wait on this time and what i what i remembered is that like at five forty five this morning it, it was horribly dark it It was pitch black and and uh it was cold and wet and I drove over to Fort Granger, which is above um uh we call it tinkerbell park what uh it 's um pinkerton park um, It has Tinkerbells in the playground that 's why um but Fort Granger kind of overlooks overlooks uh, all of franklin it's a high point and uh i had in my car the the little thing that could tell me okay where which way is east all right let's let's face that way and i got out there and there's this walkway and this kind of kind of boardwalk and this kind of decking and, and i get out there and and it's still just pitch black and man i wasn't out there very long before i was like this is miserable it was it was it was cold and and wet. Uh, you couldn't, man. It, it was it was pitch black. There were city lights, but but you couldn't see you couldn't see anything. And it reminded me of of how anxious a place the dark can be. I hadn't been there very long before I began to check my phone. Like, what time is it? And uh, I I didn't have to stand there very long in, in the kind of drizzle and the cold and all by myself. And, you know, like, like where is it? Come on. When is this thing going to happen? And then all these dark thoughts from Satan begin to creep in. The church is not even going to know. I could just make this whole thing up and, you know, they won't even they won't even know that i was actually here i can just tell this story like i was that's what preachers do anyway <laughs> you know and and it was weird to know like in our phones we can see the minute of sunrise it was weird to know that exact minute but 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 not know exactly when or how it was going to come and in that in the darkness even this this morning like um, I was reminded of of how depressing and how hopeless that place can be. It's a place many of you are familiar with. I could I couldn't help but think of is it Simon and Garfunkel? Hello Darkness. Yeah. And I, I think we're all too familiar with this this depressing, hopeless place. It's uh, maybe darkness in a in a situation at your work. Maybe darkness with a with an illness. Darkness from from some sin that's that's winning in your life. Darkness in a relationship. Man, I, it made me think of there's you know there's been times even even in our marriage we've we've been in a dark place. some of you have even had a brush with not just darkness but a brush with the shadow of death you you some of you have experienced that even even recently even this year and as i stood there and just kind of kind of tried to soak in this this moment it it Man, it seemed like it took forever, but things did begin to change. Uh, it was a cool reminder. I, I really do recommend that you do it, because what was pitch black, it, it changes to to really dark purple first, and then that purple gets lighter and lighter and lighter, and then it becomes this kind of kind of dark navy kind of blue. And I begin to see outlines of trees and buildings and hills, and all of these things begin to come to life that were that I had no idea that were were even there and And this morning I didn't get to have this the kind of picture that you're getting right now because it was dark and gray, but still, the Earth came alive again. And Advent says, "Oh man, Advent says. To everyone out in the cold, to all who sit in darkness, to all who are worn out just trying to hold on, there is one who is coming to give light. Our darkest shadows of sin and doubt and fear and death flee before him. Amen? He alone is the great horn of victory, our champion. He brings hope and freedom, forgiveness and life. In Malachi in chapter four, verse two, it says, the son of righteousness shall rise with healing in his wings. How can you not be just incredibly romantic about Advent. Here we are, like John, caught in the middle of the story. Um, it, it's a story that's begun and, and hasn't ended yet. Here we are, experiencing the divine activity of God that will one day be, fi- be fulfilled. And we don't read this story, the story of, of even John's birth or the prophecy of Zechariah. We don't read this story as outsiders, but as, our, as participants who know the ending. And the question for us is is the same question that as the crowd gathered around the child, John, you remember what they asked? What will this child turn out to be? The question for us is, uh, as we gather around the child of Jesus, what will this child turn out to be in my life? Will this child be for you the horn of victory? Will he be the one who, who will chase away the sin and darkness of your life? Will you allow him to be the one who will bring healing and restoration and hope? Will you allow him to be the one who is the, to lead you to the place of highest good, to give you the gift of fulfillment and wholeness? a gift of peace, fullness of what it means to be alive. What will this child turn out to be in your life? Will he be for you the morning light of heaven? Will he be for you the dawn Will he be for you the one who is worth getting up for? I'm going to invite the worship team back up. And as they come back up, I just want to share just uh, one or two other just closing thoughts. In just a moment, we'll enter into a time of communion. And we have stations set up around the room to, to help you enter into this, this Advent space of expectation. We expect the coming of, of the king, not just in his birth, but but his return. He says, I'm coming. This this thing, I, I know maybe you sit in darkness right now. But this thing isn't over yet. There is more to come. And so as you take this bread and this cup, may you remember him and his promise. A promise that we know will be fulfilled one day. And as we sit, and as we wait, and as we hope, and as we advent, my question to you is, do you feel it? Like on the, on the end of your fingertips, like it's just, it's, it's right there. Do you feel it? Do you sense it? You sense that the morning light of heaven is about to break upon you and guide you to a path of peace. All of the fullness of that day you can experience now. Giving your life to Christ by accepting the forgiveness that that John offered and Jesus offered. You can begin now, even today, to live as sons and daughters of the horn of victory. Because of that day, we can, because of the day that's going to come, because of the light that we know that's coming, we can face down the darkness. Amen? That you... the fullness of what God offers this Advent season. I'm going to pray and then I'm going to dismiss you to a time of, of communion. As you take that bread, as you take that cup, ask yourself, what will this child turn out to be to me, for me? What does he mean to me? And if there's a way we can pray for you or serve you, maybe you're ready to give your life to him in baptism, then, then we want to be here for that. And so I'm just going to move to the back. And it's, it's not a public place. We're not trying to make a show. But if there's ways we can serve you, maybe you are in the shadow of death. Maybe you're in that dark place and could use some light of Christ, to, could, could use some encouragement, then we're here for you. We're here to embody that light for you. So let us pray together. Father God, we come before you. I thank you so much for your word. God, I pray that you fill us with that, that sense of anticipation. So many of us walk through this place knowing and feeling that, that something is missing and something is just not quite right. And, and we, we have this longing that, that sometimes we fill with all the wrong kind of things. And so, Father God, let us turn to you this morning. Let us wait for you like the dawn. Let us look with fullness of expectation at the coming of your son, Jesus. It's something we can experience now. We maybe not fully, but God, you said, even your your son said he will be with us always. So at least in some part, in some way, we can begin to start to live out the dawn. The morning light of dawn can come and has come and is come. And so, Father God, for those trapped in darkness, we pray for relief and for healing, for for hope and forgiveness. May you win a great victory in their life. Father God, we love you. We enter into this time of communion to consider you, to think about you. But but it's not just a time of information, God. it's, It's about transformation. So we ask that you would do a work in us, that your spirit right now in this place would be doing a work in us as we lean forward, as we lean into the moment of your return. Let us prove by the way we live, Father God. We love you, Father. And in your son Jesus' name, everyone together says,